This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 17th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama is threatening his first veto over funding for the F-22 fighter jet. Christopher Preble, Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, says he's right to do so. The F-22 is as clear a case as I've seen in recent memory of um, a plane uh, of, of a of a weapon system uh, who which has outlived its usefulness, or or more more accurately, it was designed for a different sort of fight in a different sort of era. Um, it has continued for many years. Uh, driven by political considerations, by parochial economic considerations, namely there are people employed by this program, although not nearly as many people as the advocates would have you believe. And the argument that we need to build this plane in order to be safe and secure into the future does not withstand scrutiny. Most importantly, uh, the plane itself is extraordinarily costly. I've written on this at some length. Um, uh, on a per aircraft basis, when you factor in all the money that's been invested in the F-22 program from the beginning to, to today, it's about $356 million per plane, which makes it by far the most expensive fighter aircraft in history. Uh, in recent days, we have learned that it is also the most expensive plane to maintain uh, by far. Um, and the maintenance costs are truly astronomical, about $44,000 per flight hour. Um, which uh, is is two or three times that of comparable aircraft. Now the F-22's defenders on both of these points uh, say that that it is worth what we spend relative to the capabilities it brings to the table, and that because it is an expensive aircraft, it is therefore more expensive to maintain. Um, I, uh, people who own a Mercedes-Benz as opposed to a Yugo, I think, would dispute that argument. Uh, but you know, there is some kind of superficial plausibility to the notion that something with more bells and whistles has more bells and whistles to fix. But over time, maintenance costs are supposed to come down. This is a program that's been in effect now for some time, and the planes have been operational for some time. Uh, we now learn that there were uh, concerns expressed, uh, doubts even um, by engineers inside of the program about uh, the plane's stealthy uh, skin, uh, at the, and those are now subject to um, kind of a you know, whistleblower lawsuit and, and other things like that. This plane is a very troubled plane, notwithstanding that it is, I, I don't dispute that it is exceptionally capable in the, in, the, in the grand scheme. I'm not a pilot, but I respect the judgment of those people who are. The question is, is it three or four times as good as any other comparable plane? Because, uh, because it is so expensive, the Air Forces have been forced to trade off more planes for fewer uh, the Air Force has also made some, I think, very short-sighted and ultimately uh, quite counterproductive decisions to reduce pilot training and other maintenance costs and shifting costs because, um, you know, at the end of the day, that this is a finite pie of, of sorts. They need to make trade-offs. What ultimately this has become, it, it goes well beyond the merits of the F-22 as an aircraft and what the alternate, what the reasonable alternatives are. And this really is a question about can we budget for defense? Are we even capable of budgeting for defense? Or has the process become so horribly politicized that, um, that a decision that has been sp supported by two secretaries of defense, Don Rumsfeld and Bob Gates, by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the other chiefs, 
um, and obviously by the president himself. Um, can those decisions be regularly overridden by a Congress that seems driven primarily by parochial uh, considerations? This will be the test case for that question. For the executive branch, the president, the commander-in-chief, Robert Gates, the uh, Secretary of Defense, what have they said that indicates that they have the capacity to uh, stop Congress from essentially <laughs> cramming this spending down down the throats of the of the Defense Department? Well, well I know you hate it, Caleb, when I wrestle papers, but I just uh, printed off the latest speech from Secretary Gates, given that the uh, given in Chicago just uh, just two days ago. Actually, just yesterday, excuse me. Um, And he says, quote, If we can't get this right, what on earth can we get right? It is time to draw the line on doing defense business as usual. The president has drawn that line, and that red line is a veto, and it is real. The, The president has said that he will veto the entire defense authorization bill, $524 billion, something like that. Uh, the entire bill over uh, somewhere around $1.5 billion in funding for uh, half a dozen to a dozen planes. It varies. There are some, still some differences between the House and the Senate versions of this bill. So does it make sense for the president to even issue a veto threat? Does, is it plausible the president would veto a $525 billion bill for a $1.5 billion line item? And I think it is plausible and I think it is appropriate because without the line item veto, the president has limited uh, capacity for, for you know, scrutinizing down to this level. And because Secretary Gates has been so outspoken on this point and because it is supported by so many others in the national security community, um, for Congress to override that that threat, to, to rush past that threat, seems to me really short-sighted on Congress's part, because I think ultimately it reveals just how parochial this has become. One quick point on the parochialism. The advocates of the F-22 like to talk about it is built in 44 states. Okay, well, that's only technically true, okay? Subcomponents, subassemblies, piece parts are built in 44 states. And then when you scratch below the surface there, you'll see that a number of the states that can claim to build parts of the F-22, we're talking about a subcontractor who is who employs a few hundred people, maybe only a few people on a district basis, on a congressional district by district basis. There are even some districts where the F-22 advocates say, see, we employ people in your district and you actually look at the, how many people that is and it's three or something like that. It is uh, the bottom line for me I go back to what you know Dwight Eisenhower said about military spending. It's like national security spending is a core function of government. The, re- the government has a responsibility to defend us, to make decisions about weapon systems, about men and women in uniform and equipment, all those things. But at the end of the day, if a weapon system or a particular spending item in the defense budget cannot be shown to contribute to the national security of us all, then it is wrong to privilege the economic interests of a few over the security of 300 million people. The opposition to this particular F-22 funding has a lot of support. Mm -hmm. It took Dwight Eisenhower, a general and a president, to warn America of the military-industrial complex. True. Given how broadly dispersed the U.S. military is in terms of uh, foreign adventures and deployments around the globe— it doesn't seem like the incentives are ever going to line up properly to make uh, a, a smaller 
nimble yes. uh, military really possible? You've been talking to Justin Logan, uh, I see, among others. But uh, it is true. You know, I talk about this in my book, Con- and it's not a unique insight. Concentrated benefits, diffuse costs. There are a few people who do benefit disproportionately from military spending, uh, and the rest of us who do not benefit directly pay a very small portion of those costs. And therefore, the people who have an interest in keeping it going tend to override the, the, those many of us who, who have a, a smaller interest at stake. I think that the key to advancing this argument is on national security grounds. If we build this plane, if we continue to build this plane, contrary to the wishes of the Secretary of Defense and the President of the United States, we must trade off against other things, other things that are more important for our national security. And and that seems to me to be the most important point. That's what Gates stressed in his speech in Chicago. And I think that is ultimately, you even see a number of veterans organizations who have said, uh, because some of the funding that the, the current funding, which comes from operations and maintenance, truly funding this plane comes at the expense of our troops in the field. And that is, it, it is certainly short-sighted. And at some level, I would argue that it's immoral. It's immoral. Christopher Preble is author of the book, The Power Problem. He's also director of foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute. You can get your copy of the book at cato.org.